All right, all right, all right. Welcome to We Are Something Else, episode 61. Where's my little graphic? Run This Town, featuring Sweet Nations, Ian Callender. Thank you for joining us, brother. No problem, no problem. Appreciate you having me. Thank you all for having me. Let's put put that up. (laughs) Very nice graphic. Who, Who is the mastermind behind that graphic? So, well, we—that's your picture, and then I just—I jacked the picture and put, <laughs> and put something else around it. Right, right. Click save that thing. I hear you. So, a little, little bit of Photoshop, and, and we're off. Yeah, um, yeah. For those who joined us, this is our eighth, ninth week of black, our Black Business series, and Ian is joining us this week. He's going to talk some stuff about DC. Ian, Ian's got some insight on DC, and he's all throughout it. So. Uh, sit back and hope you guys enjoy the show. So let's kick it off. CB was good, brother. Hey, man. Another week. Uh, you know, looking forward to a three-day weekend. And, you know, this is one of my favorite times of the week anyways, getting to chill with the homies. Right, right, right. Superfly? It was good, man. Just trying to uh, keep a peace of mind. This has been a, it's been an interesting week. You know, all the all the parents out there with school-age children, y'all know what it is. We can week. And in, in, in non-COVID times, we'd be out uh, having a drink this weekend. But, um, you know, I'll be with y'all in spirit out there. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's real. It's real for the parents right now, man. Right, right. E-Rich. It's all good. What it do uh, out in Cali? Man, you know, uh, it seemed like this week was long, bro. Uh, today was a long day. Work's been long. So, yeah, the, the break definitely comes up at a good time. Like I said before, I think we work in uh, more than we were before, you know what I'm saying, on regular time because you knew how to how to uh, get away from it. But uh, today work kicked my butt, and, uh, you know, this is a good little break uh, before. And after this, you know, got to get that work out of, you know, can't slack off on that. So that, that'll that help, you know, get the mind right. Right, right, right. Definitely. Uh, so me and Superfly out, and we in PG, and – you know, we're not going into phase, but Maryland is getting ready to go into phase three for right. those who don't know. It, it's out there, but I, just not PG and MoCo, right? I right. think, does Charles County agree to go to go to phase three? I think a lot of people are like, yeah, we, we, need, we need to be going back to phase one. Like, right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> and I was one of those guys, I mean, I was a Larry Hogan fan because since my my voting tenure, I was able to vote. Like he's the one I've seen do the most for for the state of Maryland, and that that goes. I mean, he's he's big time Republican, and I'm a Democrat. But to me, like he was doing more than what I had seen the pre- the previous office do for the state of Maryland, and I was all for him. I mean, everyone's not perfect. He he definitely had his. I stand so I'm not funding HBCU, HBCUs, which which was an issue. And now he he gave a press conference. Well, first of all, he handled COVID, this coronavirus and quarantine very well from the jump, I believe. Um, he made sure everybody was safe. I mean, he, he put all these laws in place, but it just seems like closer to election time, now we kind of ramp things up a little faster. Like now we're allowed to go back into phase three, but then last week he announced that he, kids can go back to school if they wanted to. But 
Yeah, I thought we weren't supposed news. to hit phase three until they had a vaccine. Originally, right. that, was, exactly. that was the plan. Right? I, I heard 2021 right. was, you know, we're ways away from phase three. 2021, if that. But now, you know, all of a sudden, back to back to back to back, here we go. And then there's a, a $10 million fund out there for the states that get it together. So he's trying to grab this, this funding for the states. He's trying to That's a drop in the bucket. Make it, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just they'll print, they'll print that money somewhere. You know, exactly. what I mean? <laughs> and then it's a rounding error. James, like all these colleges that open back up, are closing back down now because, well, guess what? College kids still like to party, and now they're not at home with any restrictions. They're under their own, you know, no one's governing them but themselves. And now all of a sudden, everything's shutting back down. One of our boys, his uh, his brother's a freshman at Tennessee, and he's stuck in a hotel for 14 days because he got COVID. Like it's yeah. it's real. These college kids, you know, we were invincible just like they were, right? Yeah. yeah. What's up? I mean, judge, it's hard to judge, man. Like you know, I remember my college days, and right, you just living on the edge, man. That's. <laughs> <laughs> right, dude. you know what I'm saying. You're not really thinking anything. So through, many right? reckless and dangerous things. Thinking back, right. like, you know, like at the right. time, at the time, we're just like, yeah, this is just what I what I do. Like this is me. Yeah, like, COVID, COVID is like low on the totem pole for college. <laughs> right, exactly. right, right, right. And, and now, even on like, <laughs> I, I, they're just trying to kill you internally with like brunettes. Right, and now like scary. <laughs> Oh, but it's just as small as the, the scrolling uh, thing we got at the bottom of our screen. Like, that's how much that, it's not even a big headline anymore. Now it's just, yeah, nah. whatever. Oh, I know me. I'm not going nowhere until it is a vaccine. Or, and because at this point, I don't think America is going to smarten up enough to get it all together as, as one because everybody has not their own right. agenda. No. I mean, I, I was de- I was definitely disappointed with Hogan, man. Like, I thought I'm more disappointed less in the fact that he's trying to go to phase three, more in what he did about the schools. Um, you know, trying to, you know, either guilt them or shame them into opening back up, which is just, you know, he doesn't even have the authority to do it. So it was really just all a show. You know what I mean? And right. and for me, like he he really didn't. He really, you know, didn't come across as a as a dude that governed that way, and you know, it's a shame that he that he did that. And I was somebody that actually voted for him too, despite him being a Republican. Right. Well, it's a scary tactic, though, right? Like, I, like not to cut you off, but I think I think the scary the, the the scary tactic of of politics is, you know, the the key holders who hold the position are not the ones that are out there looking for votes, but the ones that are pushing the money. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And unfortunately. You know, uh, time and time again, you'll get somebody who's going to bow down to that money uh, because that's that's what funds their their agenda. You know what I mean? And sometimes mm-hmm. their agenda gets sideswiped because somebody else is is pulling that string. And you know, it sucks that that's the the end of the day. We're so used to them leveraging the people that they're leveraging kids now. You know what I mean? School yeah. systems, education. So you know, they it, it's almost it's almost that. You thought you didn't have to worry about what was happening on, you know, the one hand. You got to worry it was going on with the other hand behind their back because, again, now they got the kids and they say, look, I can, we can juggle this either way you want to, but I'm going to tell you how yeah. this is going to go. 
You know what I mean? You you just sit there and say what I want you to say. Sure. Yeah, um, no, that's 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 definitely facts. And I also think too, like, you know, a lot of it is trying to, you know, pin us against each other. You know, it's almost like an intellectual thing. Like, you know, if your neighbor thinks that, you know, kids should go to school, uh, even though cases are super spiking you know, they might have a totally different feel or thought towards, you know, where the country should be right now versus how you feel, you know. Right. So now that, there's that disruption uh, amongst the uh, community, you know. So just got to be resilient and just keep forward thinking. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that uh, Educated Queen brought up a good point. Uh, at, at this point, I mean, he's probably the one of the more popular ones out of, of the bunch, he got a lot of rave reviews out of his fellow um, mm-hmm. governors or whatever. So it's, it's all about a twenty twenty four run. Like now, we're, we're foreshadowing what's getting ready to what's going to happen. He's going to spend the next four years, no matter who wins this election, yeah, putting himself in place to to take over. Now, again, gov- uh, governing on a big body, like just t- being the president. I'm, I'm I'm I don't know how he would do on a, on a larger scale. I mean, because Said for a while he had had me convinced that he was handling Maryland well, and it just seems like again like the last past couple weeks is just back to back to back. Like he's trying to speed things up, and it's not not thinking properly. Like kids kids are ready to go back to school, but you still got adults sitting at home because their businesses aren't opening back up, and it, so a lot of it doesn't doesn't seem to flow right. So that's our. Uh, uh, that's my, my random somebody who can surround himself with smart people. You know what I mean? I think he 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 unlike, you know, the president knows how to govern, you know what I mean? Like and and knows how to build consensus. So he'll be different. Um, you know, I don't know what he's gonna how will fare as a president, but I think he has like some of those skill sets that, you know, and I can see that it makes perfect sense why you wanna leverage this point in time in order to kind of raise his profile, you know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's that's uh you know, to speak to speak to that comment real quick before we move on is what was that uh uh I think it was a uh, Chuck Woolery, you know, out here, you know, yeah. oh it was you know, it's a uh, COVID nineteen is, is is you know a hoax by the Democratic Party and you know, it's just to oh. shut, you know, the, the orange guy down. Well, I come the orange guy, I definitely can't call him that other thing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know what I'm saying. His son got it. Actually, you know, he backtracking. Oh, it's real out here. Yeah. Well, let me delete yeah, everything yeah. I done said before. And it's like, that's the thing, man. Like they, the, the warped mindset of somebody who feels that somebody would really tear against uh, uh, a vast majority of people who have died, who family members are no longer here, just to play on the heartstring of all of the economy. Man, this economy that been tanked before with with without a pandemic. So. <laughs> What are we really talking about here? Right. 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 Um, I don't know if you guys saw the, like the seven-minute video clip of Cat Williams. Kind of like a yeah. – it's somewhat of a stand-up, but he's – commercial, he's right? Gonna, it, I, don't know, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's actually – I mean, it's smart. And everything he's saying, it makes a lot of sense. And then the fact that nobody – he's he's serious, but you can see it's kind of like a punchline in there somewhere, but there's no – no audience. I mean, you have to take it as serious. I, I thought it was it was decent. Have you seen it, Ian? 
Yeah, I saw a little bit of it, but I, I too thought it was a Supreme commercial. <laughs> I thought I thought I was like, yeah, so Supreme must have, you know how they do. They'll they'll put anything on on uh, on a, a, a chair now. I think they got like a a, a regular, you know, regular chair table with right. where Supreme on itself for like six seven hundred bucks. But I mean, I right. thought it was very um, uh, timely. You know, it was it was needed, especially for him. No one's seen him in a while, so for him to come out and kind of use that platform right. was uh was pretty dope. Right. Um, but this was the first story I wanted to talk about. But things always get derailed when we talk about getting trapped in the <laughs> house for four or five months and just gotta let it all out. Right. But uh, this one right here, man, this 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 hit me like hard, and I didn't. I never met the brother day in my life. I mean, I've seen his body to work. I mean, and I haven't been disappointed by it in his work. But I'm like, wow! Like, out of just sitting at the table Friday night with my phone, oh yeah, I'm just goes off like Chadwick Boseman passes away at 43 of colon cancer. You're like, what? And it's just mm-hmm. then your first thing you think about is the video that came out on Jackie Robinson Day in April when he was he didn't look well, and a lot of people definitely you know. The internet can be harsh, and they they ripped him, and they attacked him, and I'm like, you don't know what's going on with this guy. He obviously doesn't look like himself, or something's going on, whether it's a movie or yeah. not. He looks different from the last time you've seen him. Right. But you know they they attacked him and whatever, and then you know you start to realize that you know this guy was 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 dying. And so Every I said. And he gave it hard. Yeah. Right. And like for me, I've never met a person, but you know, I guess the the body of work, and then I've always heard positive things about the guy, like in just his interviews. Like, wow, that's a good person from what we know is gone. Like, you know, in in a, a time like this. So Yeah, super unexpected. I mean, what I think you can learn from that though is just about, you know facing adversity head on and, you know, kind of living urgently, you know, he didn't wait for, he, 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 he you know, took action on those, kind of set himself up in position to, to make decisions on roles. You know, I saw, read things about him turning down like slave roles, just being very um, um, intentional about the images that he put out. Um, and, you know, to me, that's one of the, the big lessons that he left for us, you know, yeah. Just, TB, anything? I mean, like you were saying, it's all you hear is that this was just such a genuinely good dude. Like this was just uh, a guy that left a positive impression on everybody, and it just—you can tell that he is a really—he had a really strong support system around him because nobody knew about this. Like, yeah, you know, like the, the, that's part of the shock of it is he was able to keep all of this really close to the vest. And, right. you know, that's in this day and age with Twitter and, you know, people going live all the time, you know, like like we're live right now. This this kind of stuff doesn't stay hidden. And so mm-hmm. it, I don't know, like it, it really is something that Mo- it did hit Mostly. me like this, this is this is not a dude that we wanted to see go, man. The average like, person would have tried to leverage that into more fame. Oh yeah, you know, right. Like, how right. strong is your circle 
for them to keep that tight, you know. And in fact, we don't know. I mean, obviously, who knew outside of his his immediate family? But I mean, outside of doctors leaking that or some, right. you know, anything. It just for four years. Did you see? Uh, did you guys see the uh, the interview from uh, one of the the, the co the co stars of uh, the Five Bloods talking about it? No. no. So it like it uh it, it shook him right. I, I can't remember his name. Uh, forgive me, but uh, one, clearly I would say the older guys, but all of them was old as hell. But uh, <laughs> um, no. So so what he said was is that you know they were asking him about um you know his time on the you know just with them on the set of the Five Bloods, and he was like, you know what, he's I'm gonna say something that you know I, I've still been struggling with, and he said when he was on set. And I saw him, I thought that Black Panther went to his head because after every take, he would go sit down and he had somebody massaging his back, you know, massaging his legs, his feet, you know what I mean? And he said, whole time I'm thinking, you know what I'm saying, like Black Panther got to his head. And then this happens knowing that he did that and he was like, man, he was carrying 150 pounds of that, of the, of the, uh, you know, the, the gear. And then go and do all of that, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and be out there in a hundred plus degree weather. And then you could tell like it hit him because he was like, that's the part where they said we don't need to judge because we have no idea what people are going through. And for him to be such a genuine dude and for that to uh to go about it that way, I mean, you could tell like it hurt him because he was like, I shouldn't have thought about him in that nature. Because yeah. now that you see it and what happened, yeah. it makes you realize, like, you know what I'm saying? You really don't know what people are going through. And you have to have that. Uh, uh, it just brings it into what 2020 has been about, bro. It's just, <laughs> you know, really undermining, you know, just, just life. You know what I'm saying? Just the, the small things that, that actually matter in this world. So uh, I appreciate it, it educated, <laughs> for sure. Appreciate it, educated queen. Uh, I forgot his name, but she got me. That's exactly. Tanya, what's up? Thank you for joining us. Um, yeah, it, it puts a lot of things in perspective. Um, just you can see his work ethic and how hard, like you said, how much work he put into everything he did in the last past four to six years. And just not missing a beat. And you never thought anything else because he always looked had his A game on when we saw him. So that's, I mean, I think that's another reason why it probably hit a lot of us hard because it's just like, you, you don't know, you never know, and like we were out of the loop. So, yeah, I really took uh, it for granted, man. Like he, the movies, I was just like, yeah, he, this dude just make dope movies, and and we just gonna keep enjoying them. He's gonna be there like Denzel for forty years, and that's what it's gonna be, you know? Right, that's what we think. Right, yeah, yeah. Twenty One Bridges is dope, and I was definitely like, that's his act, like you know, that's his role. That was definitely gonna put him on that, that next Denzel train. You know what I right, mean? That right. to be able to hit different roles like the way he was playing them, man. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'll say one last night. You know, to hear the story about like Denzel paying for his um his study abroad at Oxford uh, yeah. for his acting class and. Just, um, I think it would have gone full circle with Angela Bassett, too. Like, he was the student that gave her the tour of the campus when he was still there, and so she didn't remember that. So, he told her to the, set. The it's just, I mean, all good stuff. I haven't heard one bad thing. Um, speaking of bad things, 
a good segue into that. <laughs> um, look, they tried their best, I think, to to put on a put on like a, a good a good show publicly as far as them, you know, getting that acting like they hadn't spent the last past beefing with each other. Um, I mean, the music is dope. You you forget about some of the huge hits Brandy's had. And yeah. you know, Monica's definitely had some big hits. They both work with big time producers. But then it's just like when they have to, anything outside of the music and they have to interact, it's, it was just like, oh, I'm waiting for somebody to say something. And it just never came, but you felt it. Yeah. I, I almost I mean, think they got, I, I feel like they they got paid a nice, a nice bag. You know, sure. I mean? like that's that's the new that's the new uh, walkthrough. You know what I mean? Like yeah. instead of getting paid twenty grand to walk through a club, you get paid fifty grand to do it digitally and do it versus. And, right. and I know, mean, they had the versus effect immediately. First of all, they broke all the records instantly. Yeah, I'd never seen Instagram's number go up to. I'd never seen a million, but then it got yeah. to one point two, and it stayed there. I don't know that if it's going to go higher than that. But then I saw the <laughs> Apple numbers, and then like all that music top hit the charts again. Yep. yep. And I mean, they're talking about tours. I mean, it's easy to talk about doing a tour now. Nobody's touring. So, but I think, uh, like you said, it, it's the new thing to do. And whoever was behind it, Timberland said he had something to do with it. I know Missy probably had a bigger portion to do with it because Monica and Missy are tight. And then I had heard at one point Brandy was for it, then Monica wasn't, then Monica was for it, and Brandy wasn't. And I'm just like, just just do it. Like, I, I got to be socially distant anyway, suppose. What else you, know, you going to do right now? <laughs> what else we doing right now? Honestly. <laughs> all right, man, gonna, and if you want to cheap plug your album or play all, you can play all new stuff for 20 tracks. <laughs> nobody will hear anyways. So just go yeah. ahead and play it. But uh, I, I think yeah. that... Um, Versus has come right on time during a time where. Oh man, internet connection might be bad. <laughs> right. but, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't yeah. watch the Brandy <laughs> joint. Huh? I ain't watched the Brandy <laughs> joint, man. I'm more Jill Scott and uh, Erica than I am Brandy Monica. You know what I'm saying? It just they just never yeah. appealed to me like that. As a DJ, I played all their music, but that <laughs> I wasn't checking for that joint, man. <laughs> I mean that's but I'm that, happy that for was, them. I'm happy they got a bag though. Yeah, I mean, first of all, they look like they look like two two distant, you know, cousins that gotta interact with each other in front of like all the rest of the family, you know what I'm saying? Even yeah. though everybody in the room know that they don't like each other. You know what I'm right. saying? Like that awkward family yeah. dinner. Yeah, you right. know what I'm saying? Like like you know, the two aunties that never agreed to nothing that you know after the revival or something like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, somebody always got you know, she wanna make the macaroni and cheese, but everybody know it's dirt, you know, it's trash. It's you know? And then the one auntie tell her, Don't make it, nobody's gonna eat it. And they just you know what I'm saying? So but the no, it was part, a good look though. The one part that stood out to me was that that's the intermission or halftime. And mom's all oh, go ahead and drop my brand new track. I got this exclusively. Brian's like, oh, we dropping new tracks? Like it's just like she had no idea. Don't that shade. She don't got the baby face skill at that joint, man. You gotta be slick with the shade. Yeah. Uh I mean by far I think it, apparently the culture or you know, our generation was looking for it because again, the numbers showed everything. They and it, it took me back to a time. 
I guess their era was they started around what ninety six was is when they kind of started coming around ninety five ninety six. Mm-hmm. Right, back to a time yeah. where like you know that was like a, a really good time. Like music was I mean, was all was was great. The era was good, and it just put you in a moment of nostalgia for they went for three hours supposedly. Wow. So apparently the next one is going to be bigger than this one. They just haven't released the names yet, but I mean that's a good way to hype up. You know whatever's coming. So it seems like they're still on the tech I would be saying that every time. million people on IG. Yeah, yeah. Unless it's, I don't know how you can top that. Unless you do, you got to go Janet next. You got to do Jay Nas. You got to do that. Um, that's the only that's that's the only thing that's good numbers because Ross and Chains had dropped off after they. That was a, probably a bad spot to put them in after X and Snoop. Cause X and Snoop was that was that was that was probably my best one thus far. Yeah. Ross and Chains afterwards, and that's just that's just kind of a pocket of people. That's not everybody that's that that was doing that. Then they the got boy Rakim challenged Kumo D. Rakim challenged Kumo D. <sighs> I thought. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I mean, I mean <laughs> Kumo D got twenty hits. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Trust him, the DJ. <laughs> he got yeah. treacherous three joints, you know what I'm saying? But well, yeah, Kumo D now. Has he written any hits that we don't that he's not necessarily on? Yeah, maybe. That yeah. How you like me now was hard though. That's a hard record. Was, uh, uh, was that, that joint today? How how you like me now? Was that the first LL diss? Yeah, yeah. Think so. I think so. Behind the verse scenes. <laughs> the ladies got something to say. She had a poem for everything. She did have a poem for everything. Yeah, Brandy, Brandy the poet. <laughs> did Ray J make an appearance? That's what. Yeah, he was behind the scenes. He was, you know, he was he was out there supporting. He ain't never too far. Away versus, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. <laughs> Didn't he come out be close right to afterwards, action. like trying to push a tour or something like that? Yeah, he they he said yeah, he can he can make a tour between those two happen. Whatever. Oh, yeah, I did see that yeah. Fantasia versus Jay Hood. Yeah, he was clowning, talking about they was gonna be screaming all day. Yellow said they should just sing live. Just had him. Either screaming or praying. They only crying. Only go twenty straight tracks. Sweating like a revival up in there. Let's um, let's dive into the bubble real quick. Um, let's just just recap what's going on. First of all, I think the Thunder more so beat themselves last night than uh, the Rockets beating them. I mean, Harden had yeah. some good stops, but I think the CP3 for him to be, what do you say, Mr. Fourth Quarter or whatever, he a couple bad shots. Um, what's, who's, uh, oh, the score, they were up 2 nothing, Boston and uh, Raptors, but CP said Raptors won tonight, right? Yep, had a uh, .5 <laughs> second three-pointer at the buzzer, yeah. That shit was dope. It's so dope. I went crazy. Is there anyone that doesn't think that Lakers Clippers are about to? I mean, they're setting up for the Western Conference Finals. 
Are we thinking those are the two teams for the West? Clippers Let's go live to Los Angeles. Yeah, live at live in LA. Clips better not take Denver lightly. You know they exactly. They, they got they got momentum. That momentum. Wow, I've been listening. Uh, the pop <laughs> uh, uh, R.I.P. to uh, you know John Witherspoon. But um, nah, um, nah, I think I think I think they. You know, Denver's a great squad, and and I think that the young kid Porter actually is uh is a good piece off the bench. He's young. He's I mean he's versatile. He got buckets for days. Uh, so I think he can match what uh, they count coming off the bench. Everybody's seen it that if PG or or what we call him uh uh, uh <laughs> pandemic George, if he doesn't he doesn't come to play, you know uh, Kawhi can't he can't lift them up against the, the West like that. It's a different beast out here as far as the, the squads that you play against. But everybody wants that LA versus LA Western Conference Finals. We should get it, but uh, don't be surprised. That's where the money is. That's but the market beyond, has been set up beyond, beyond money, though. That boy Jamal Murray been a killer, though. And he's on stage, and this would be another platform to show what he, you know, what he's been doing. You know what I mean? Just nobody watches Denver, right? right. Yeah. But do they match up well? Yeah, yeah. The, look, you got to have the center. Jokic is is it should be the wild card. Because he's going to have to pull their center out of the out of the middle, which then leaves the perimeter guys to do what they do. They can guard on the perimeter. The problem is most people can't guard the Clippers because they can just sit on the perimeter and shoot Jays all day. They got they got it for them. This is a good matchup. Okay. All right. Um, Nash, new head coach of the of the Nets. We excited about that. Yes, no. Is it going to work? I'm indifferent. Did you uh, hear what Stephen A. Smith said about it? No, Facts. I heard what Skip Bayless said. Because uh, uh, Stephen A. said something. Right, right. <laughs> but he uh, he basically said that um, you know Nash getting that job without any head coaching experience is white privilege, and you know it's kind of hard to uh, disagree with that. Well, okay. So, is it white privilege or is it Dur- Durant and Irvin picking who they wanted to coach? I, I don't think that decision is made without them making that signing off on it. They definitely had to sign off. And, uh, you know, I think at least to most of the basketball people that I talked to, they were more like, does Nash, would Nash really want to coach Kyrie? Like, is Kyrie someone that, you know, people want to coach? Um, but Nash has that relationship with KD already. So, uh, you know, they have a great respect for each other. And I mean, Talk about, you know, a gig for your first head coaching job in the NBA. You got that roster, you know, you got yeah. KD coming back. Like, okay. Yeah. I think we could get some wins, you know, on the sideline of that squad. You know what I mean? But, you know, a lot of people say that about Tyron Lue, too. You know what I mean? When he got I thought he was getting a job. I thought Lou had it. Yeah, I mean, but just for where he, you know, kind of stepped in and, and took his team, you know. So it, it just depends on how you, how you play it. Your was Nash on the bench anywhere? I mean, like, like as far as he no. was in a, he was like uh, an assistant, like not, not even an assistant. He was like a consultant for the Warriors. Like that was he was, like that's how he developed a relationship with KD. But he wasn't like officially on the coaching staff or anything. Like that's got to be the dopest gig ever. Just get paid to be a consultant, you know, for a squad. Right. Yeah. The crazy part is though, but what like was Jock Vaughn really that bad? He literally got Brooklyn to the playoffs 
with no superstar and actually was running the squad, like knowing that you go yeah. at least give him the full starting five next year to prove what, you know, he, if he had a whole squad. But, I mean, that's why I said I think I, that's why I agree with Stephen A. The underlining is that you've seen coaches win coach of the year and get fired the very next year and have a winning record. It, 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 there's yeah. no wrong reason, but right. you got like, yeah, I mean, you got, like you said, you, uh, Mark Jackson never probably getting another gig. You know, they blackballed him out there. Blackballed NBA. Mark Jackson. Uh, you talking about uh, B. Shaw, you know, that, that should get another uh, another shot. You know, it's, it's a couple of names out there. And when, you know, you get somebody that's sitting at home and got no role in the NBA as an assistant. I mean, hell, Patrick Ewing sat on the bench for years. And they was lobbying for that man to get a head coaching job. And you just going to pick somebody off the street because they a Hall of Famer? <laughs> nah, nah, that you missed me with that one. <laughs> you missed me with that one. <laughs> It's wild because, you know, to you think about the difference between coaching in college and coaching in the pros, because the pro, in, in the NBA, it's very much a player controlled environment, whereas, you know, the top collegiate programs, your Kentuckys, your Dukes, you know, that's the, the coach has a huge influence on like success of a team, whereas, you know, in the NBA, Whichever team LeBron's on, you know they're going to com- be competing for the conference championship. Like it doesn't matter who his coach is; he's the coach. You know, right. like so it's 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 wild just to see that difference because you know it does kind of seem like oh well if your roster's nice you can just kind of throw whoever you want behind behind the bench, but at the end of the day, you still want to see certain opportunities being handed out. You know what I mean? And it it we'll see. Um, you know, uh, I just can't wait for the the Kyrie drama because it's coming. We know it's coming. We we just don't know when. Right. All right. So, episode sixty one, run this town. A special guest from Sweet Nation, Ian Calendar. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Uh, join us for our Black Business series. Uh, we've been looking forward to this one. I'm glad you took that one. <laughs> we actually had that sound effect when we were recording uh, just our vocals, so we gotta yeah. figure out a way to step our game up. Um, so let's let's start with this. What is what is Sandlot? I know it was Southwest and now it's Southeast, correct? Yeah, yeah. What, what, is, what is Sandlot? So Sandlot is um, actually a, a a concept that um, uh, one of my good friends and business partners, Kevin Holland came up with uh, back in 2018. We, um, you know, Sandlot, the movie, uh, was celebrating their 25th anniversary that year. So um, it's a movie that we all love, or at least we've all seen. Um, and it's something that um, we wanted to conceptualize in person. So he had this idea to do something again around Major League Baseball All-Star, which is in 2018. And, you know, I had the access with the developers and, you know, just trying to find a, a location for us to, to do this short-term activation. Um, but then, you know, uh, fate kind of found us a, a really dope location, a buzzer point, a place that nobody really was going to. Um, and we were able to secure the land, uh, $50,000, and literally just build this this cultural space where, our people can congregate and, and mingle and engage 
because there really wasn't a place like that uh, for black people. Um, you know, we weren't looking to develop a beer garden or anything of that nature because there's plenty of those. Um, and not to say that we don't patronize beer gardens, but again, it wasn't something that fit our mold. So that's what uh, Sandlot, um, when it was conceived, uh, but we didn't start it until March of 2019. So a lot of construction delays, sponsorships didn't hit, you know, until later 2018, type of 2019. Um, but once we got going and people, you know, kind of saw what it was and being outdoors, you know, pre-COVID was a thing, you know what I mean? That <laughs> really just kind of set the precedent. And, and now here we are post-COVID or, or during COVID. Um, and, and our model for Sandlot, um, is, is super tangible and, and super, um, surreal. So, uh, by us relocating to, Southeast, thanks to our developer partners, MRP, um, right out front of the National Stadium, you know, brand new apartment complex, the Marin, which is open, beautiful building, uh, right at the base of the Frederick Douglass Memorial Bridge. Um, we should be open re relatively soon, uh, in that, in that location. And, um, we are working on another location, uh, in Northwest. So, um, the ink is, is, the, the pen is right next to the paper and everything's looking very lovely. So I'll, I'll say that and I'll save the rest for later. Nice. Um, is this location an outdoor venue or is it storefront? Yeah, it's outdoor. Um, the Southeast location will be outdoor and we will have an indoor component as well, uh, about 1800 square feet. So um, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll have a little bit of flexibility this year. Um, and, and again, just, trying to create, uh, you know, or allow others to utilize our space for their benefit. Um, you know, again, pre pre presenting or providing access to people to have uh, these types of uh, environments to produce their programs, their events, uh, and showcase some dope artists as well in the, in the same stride. Yeah, I mean, I can personally speak too. We, we had an event there um, in late September. Um, before y'all shut down um, but like one thing that like I was curious about is like how did you all get people to be interested in the idea because I mean you know there was nothing there like it wasn't <laughs> beside the stadium especially getting us yeah. to go over there you know what I'm saying yeah I think um yeah I, a lot of that though I feel was um was really on um, some of the event producers, you know, like those that, um, you know, always look for venues, you know, you'll have a, a trap karaoke at Red Rocks, or you'll have a, you know, Trill Grill at St. Elizabeth. And, and you know, people really know me from Blind Wino. And a lot of those, you know, events originated at Blind Wino, you know, mm -hmm. which we started in 2013, um, you know, from trap karaoke, like, I mean, these are events that are on big stages um, that uh, originated uh, out of out of our shop. So we were kind of like the event incubator, um, you know, and, and so when Sandlot kind of became a thing, again, the fact that you have this, you know, outdoor space confined by a 120 by 40 fence, um, in a shipping container bar, 
um, you know, we looked at it like you don't have to rent this space. It, it, it's yours. Just let the bar do some numbers and, you know, you don't have to, you don't owe us anything. Um, and that to me just allowed people more confidence to, to go into a physical space and just let them kind of promote and share with their friends and family on, on um, having, you know, coming out and having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, that that location that you the Southwest portion that was um, pretty historic back in oh, the yeah. back in the day. I mean, yeah, there was what was on that strip. It was East Side, uh, Secrets, Secrets, a couple other spots, Lime Nightclub. Um, Pier Nine or the or the Pier, um, you know, Navy Yard in Southeast and and Buzzard Point in Southwest was like no man's land. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't get like back in the day, you wouldn't get caught, you know, at night in those areas. And when I say back in the day, I'm talking like '90s and like not even 15, you know, years ago, uh, before that stadium got there, which was 2005. Um, but you know, for, you know, being in the neighborhood, you know, just growing up around here, you know, we go over there all the time and, you know, go to the strippers at Club 55 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like just, or Club Nation, you know, seeing Jay-Z and, you know, the Blueprint, the Blueprint, I think it was maybe the Blueprint 1 or 2, uh, was probably the Blueprint 1, yeah, Blueprint 1, um, when he came to D.C. and and performed, you know what I mean? So, uh, that's that's what I remember like like the, that area. But the people that live there now have no clue, have no idea. Um, not that that's a bad thing, but you know I push that on you know the developers that are building uh, in these neighborhoods. Is, you know like try to preserve a little bit of history and culture and, and share that. You know we've seen what the wharf did. I don't think they did a good job of what the district work really meant or what the fish market really meant to, you know, the African-American community, you know, especially since Southwest was one of the most, you know, um, you know, allocated areas for African-Americans and, and uh, Greek immigrants as well. Um, but, you know, then urban renewal came and wiped all of that away. But that's a whole nother, you know. <laughs> I remember... Uh, Chris Weber and Juwan Howard, they start Nation? Was that? I don't think, uh, to my knowledge, um, it's funny you say that because I, I, you know, BT Southage was my first job out of high school, <clears throat> excuse me, in 99 at Largo. It's Jasper's now. Um, mm-hmm. But Chris Weber and, you know, Chris Weber lived in Woodmore and him and Juwan and Roshan and just all the gang will always come there and Get drunk and 301 or 308, wherever the round booth was in, in BT South Bay. Um, but uh, that's my that's my closest recollection of, to Chris and Juwan. I don't think they had a hand in this one, though. Okay. I remember speaking on how that area used to be. Like you said, you had just, it was a, a pocket of different clubs right there in that, in that area. Um, yeah, Capitol Street. Yeah, I yeah. remember going to Nation. To stand, I stood in line for a Prince concert at midnight. All black the building. The nation was dope, All, man. Just as a yeah, building, it was, dope. Like, it was, it was crazy. dope. And then like the sound on the inside was even was yeah, even hurt. dope. Like that, I had been there a couple of times, but my last time there, except uh, the show started at midnight, 
and the door uh, it was since it was a standing room only, you had to get in line at nine thirty at night. For a show that started at twelve, doors opened up at eleven, and the show went on to like three in the morning. <laughs> and just that area, that whole area was different. And like you said, now there's the stadium there. There's definitely gentrification. There's apartments. There's completely yeah. different at nighttime around there too. Nothing but apartment. How do you how do you compete with trying to keep you know DC culture alive with you know while this mass gentrification or you know what they call it re um, where how do you how do you compete with that? I think it's just uh, documentation. You know, it's it's really the 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 truest rawest form of of um, uh, reunion. You know what I mean? It's it's photos, videos, and and publication. Um, you know, that's the role of DC Library. You know, their role is to preserve the history and heritage of of Washington D.C. You know, and um, the historic preservation. Like if y'all been to the Apple Store at Carnegie Library um, downtown, you know they have a whole section in the basement that highlights you know D.C. history um, and even focuses on some points of Southwest with the Randall you know Junior High School, which Marvin Gaye went there. And they have, you know, the class picture of, of Marvin Gaye in 1954. Um, so it's, it's definitely something that I've kind of fell into, um, more specifically with, with the Blind Rhino Project. You know, there's a lot of history there. Um, so that's kind of when I started my journey of really just documenting everything that we did there, but really kind of just capture, you know, what happens in the neighborhoods. Um, and, uh, and and ensure that people that, that not only live there and have lived through those eras, um, but people that are coming in can at least have a, a sense of um, what once was. Mm-hmm. Well, you spoke on sponsorship. What goes yeah. into getting sponsors, like selling, you know, selling these people on your idea and getting them to invest? What, what goes into that? Pure luck, like now. Um, <laughs> now, so for me, I think um, I mean sponsorships. The way I try to explain it, uh, you know, in in layman's terms, is you know I like to do um, I like to set it up as uh, you know back in the day you have you know favorites, or even right now you might have a favorite you know beverage. You might like Pepsi, or you might like Coke. Um, you might like, you know, Ciroc, or you might like Belvedere. Uh, you might like Heineken, or you might like Corona. Um, one of the things that I did very early in, in you know, my event, um, you know, kind of production with Sneaker Suite was to align myself with brands that I enjoyed. Um, and what I mean by align, it wasn't necessarily sponsorships, but it was just, you know, promoting and highlighting brands that I enjoy. Uh, so one of our first events, um, which was at Ibar in 2005, um, it was literally just a sneaker event and Heineken was, you know, one of my favorite beers at the time, as young as I was. Uh, so we put a Heineken logo on the flyer and Heineken didn't give me no money or sponsor nothing. But the people that got the flyer didn't. 
you know, they saw that, dang, he ain't got Heineken, it's official. Um, so, uh, you know, then it just kind of grew into um, um, engaging with people that came to our event uh, and then starting to build in these relationships where people saw what we would, would produce or how we would produce these events. And then literally me saying, well, you know, if there's anything that I can do to support your brand, you know, let me know. Um, and not asking for, you know, money, cash in hand, it was asking for ways to subsidize my expenses. You know, so that kind of shifted the, the, the mindset. A lot of people, when they're asking for sponsorship, they're just asking for money. Yo, I need 500 bucks. I need a thousand bucks. I need 2,500 bucks. You know, and I'm speaking back in, in those terms, but they didn't really explain what that money was going to be used for. You know, they didn't put it on paper and say, well, here's my, you know, line item budget where the DJ is going to cost 250, you know, the food's going to cost five, the, you know, flyers are going to cost 170 from growth printing. Like no one, no one kind of drilled it down that way. Um, so by me doing it very early in the game, that allowed the brands to trust me. And, and when they did start giving me money, um, and I never really over promised, you know, it's like I under promised and over delivered like every single time. And it almost got to a point where they were just like, you know, well, how are you making money? Uh, you know, but for me, it was never really about the money because I had a full-time job, you know, where I'm getting paid fairly well. I was the IT director at, you know, Shoe City corporate office. So. It, it's a lot of that that I try to share with people and say, look, if you want to get sponsorship, start with brands that you uh, believe in and that you wear and represent without it being about the money. You know, now on IG, that's all we see is somebody that's getting paid and wear something. And it's like, it's not real. It's fabricated fun. Um, so when you kind of get into the authenticity of it, that's when the brand starts seeing it. And then it comes to fruition um, well after the fact. Nice. Okay. Um, so with the pandemic going on, how was how was that affected business for you, or how you moved, or has it been a blessing? Some people have taken a pandemic and used it as a blessing because just to sit still for a second and, and reevaluate the, you know the next move. Uh, it's been both, you know, we've Sandlot's closed, all the venues are closed. I look at it as a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Rejuvenation. Yeah, renewal. You know, it's renewal. Yeah, like, uh, you know, Sandlot was already in a, a great uh, position financially, um, especially starting in 2020 with the XFL. Um, and, uh, you know, I was more concerned about my employees than anything. Um, so to be able to get a PPP loan, that was great, um, took care of them and still taking care of them. Um, and that kind of allowed me to dial back and rethink the model in post COVID world. Um, and I think that is what a lot of other businesses have done during this time, um, unless you're a restaurant. I think the restaurants have probably had the most difficulty 
just because their main business is to provide food service. Um, and that's what their infrastructure was, was built on. You know, my infrastructure was built on events and there aren't any events happening right now, but that's okay. You know what I mean? We're not paying rent, you know, so it's not a, a, a crushing blow. Um, but on the flip side, a lot of developers have basically said the same thing. Look, we don't have people coming in to pay market rate rent for these vacant spaces that we have and knowing our history and our track record with, you know, beautifying vacant spaces and dilapidated blighted spaces. That's when we decided to like kind of really get that energy going and, and secure these physical spaces so that when it is time to go back outside, we can have these, you know, niche pockets of, of arts and culture that we once didn't have before. Um, so that's really where the, the upside uh, has been. Um, but it, it's, I really feel bad for, for those restaurants. I mean, so many have, have closed and, and even the entertainment, other entertainment venues, it's just uh, a real tough time. Because there's no real guidance. You know, like you were saying earlier, like Maryland's in phase three and Virginia's in phase, you know, they're not even in phase no more. They just open. They just air tight on the VA. Um, and then DC kind of more, you know, close knit, but there's no border protection. So if you want to have a good time, go to Virginia. If you want to go to, you know, Jasper's and get your bone crusher, go right ahead. They're open. Go to the bar. So it's just a lot of complexity. So, so with that said, like, how do you, being someone who runs events, right? Your, your goal is to like pack it and we're going to make this night epic. And how do you, uh manage the desire to want to kind of you know leverage that pent-up excitement that the city has to want to go back out and party and versus trying to be safe and how do you think of that i think it's not even about packing out anymore um i think it's it's always been quality for for us i mean we've all been there you know especially like me growing up in the, you know, go-go era, it was just every time we went to a spot, you know, black hole, super, super packed, you know. Could hole, you imagine going, going to a go-go right now? <laughs> like a <laughs> right, real, a go But it could happen. And I think that's the mindset that to me, like going back into events, people will start to realize that you can have a great, amazing experience without it being a thousand people in a room right you know i mean i think about mark barnes a lot when he did love and you know republic gardens like all those spots was just super packed and even park now you know gets gets packed but i think the more enjoyable hours at park are between five and twelve you know because it's not the super turn of everybody's jammed in there because it's just the, the place to be is it's a comfortable, uh, low key spot to just you know get some drinks and have some good food. So, to me, I think that's where the the true bounce back is, is going to be. Mm-hmm. I got a question for you. Um, it especially in regards to like kind of what's happening now, but I guess it's kind of before and after. Has there has there been anybody or another? somebody who's either looked up to you as far as your business model, somebody that's kind of been watching you from the sideline, 
that either wanted to get into a space, I wouldn't necessarily say similar to yours because I know competition is one thing, but somebody who's watched you from afar and wanted to start theirs, you know, what is your, you know, kind of like your business acumen to like somebody who's kind of viewing you from the sideline as, you know, might ask questions, you know, as far as uh, the things that you've been through, but then at the same time, you know, the elevation of, you know, creating their, their, their own kind of pocket for themselves, you know, almost like a mentor to somebody who, who sees your vision, but wants to create that in a different lane? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think just from my experience in the sneaker industry, that's kind of where I got a lot of, um, you know, people to kind of start paying attention to, to what I was doing um and and trying to understand you know like like how i was doing it because you know for me i was a real you know justifiable sneakerhead right like it's in print you know it's, it's behind me it's whatever you know what i mean you can do your research and just see that i've always been immersed in this subculture back in the day now super mainstream um so uh when people you know really start to understand that it's it's something that lives inside of you. Um, it kind of helps add to the you know experiences that you give off. So that's really how I align with a lot of folks that always wanted to tap in to to, to study what I was doing and, and see you know like the sponsorship you know aspect of it. It's always been the same blueprint. Like nothing's changed. Like I haven't done anything different in 15 years it's been the same and and i try to challenge a lot of people and say hey look i want you to basically copy exactly what i'm doing and 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 stick it within your you know category of interest or the area that you exceed in the most you know what i mean and and that to me is i mean if, if i can't you know really help folks understand that you know the the blueprint is not complex um, you know, then, then there's another challenge, but, you know, I, I used to get upset too, back in the day when, you know, a couple of, of folks that, you know, I fuck with, you know, or that I know, uh, you know, started doing like sneaker parties and they weren't really sneaker cats. And I was like, bro, like, this is like phony, like, this is some bullshit, you know what I mean? <laughs> And the culture doesn't like that. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, but at, at the same time, you know, like, they were more popular than me. Like, I wasn't popular. I'm still not popular. Like, I try to remain as humble as possible and just, you know, I don't have 10,000 followers on Instagram or whatever. I don't desire that. But it was just upsetting because it's like, yo, you could have, like, just incorporated me in the equation and then authenticated it a little bit more than what you presented it as. But you know, again, I look at those challenges and those experiences and, and use that to share with other people that want to, like, you know, progress in their in their field of um, of, uh, of interest. So um, I try to be a mentor. I try to really just be accessible, you know, like first and foremost, you hit me on IG, I'm hitting you back. You email me, I'm emailing you back. You text me, I might take a while, but I will text you back. Um, and, and I try to speak on panels and, and really just be about it, you know, and, and I live in Southwest and I'm always around, like, it's not hard to find me basically. 
And could you talk about how some of your earlier ventures have helped you, you know, just kind of get to where, where you are now? Sure. Um, yeah, I've had a, I've had a few um, from the you know, vacant space realm. Um, we started doing this like in 2009. Uh, my old business partner and I, we kind of had a thing for like, again, vacant spaces and, and just having relationships with people that, you know, own these buildings. And, you know, I used to always get super excited when I would see a lease sign in a window of a pretty big space. I'd call, like, yo, what, what's up? What y'all, y'all doing with that space right there? Um, and so, like, one of the bigger ones that we did was in 2011, I'm dating myself, but 2011, on 14th Street, it was a old office building. It was an old Department of Transportation office building, um, DDOT, uh, right below Florida Avenue on 14th Street. But it was 25,000 square feet. And we got with the building owner and we said, hey, look, we want to do this project, you know, for like 30 days. Uh, we need 90 day, a 90 day lease. You know, you're not doing nothing with the building. Let us, you know, improve it. And hey, we'll cross the bridge after 90 days when we get there. Uh, he thought we were crazy. He didn't realize that we had $125,000 in corporate funding from vitamin water. Um, but that's how we kind of made the improvements in the space, activated it for 30 days. And when we went to renew or try to get more time with the building owner, he turned around and sold it to a gym because again, we made the improvements on his building. So he got a lot more than what he probably was getting for it the first time. Um, and then 2013, we did Blind Wino. So same kind of you know model. You know, we had 80,000 in corporate funding, um, uh, one year, no rent lease with the building owner. And then seven years later, you know, it's Cluster House now. So it's a, a, a model that works um, you know, we learned a lot from both of those experiences and, uh, 2015, same thing, you know, uh, 18,000 square foot building on eight street, seven to eight street, right across from po Boy gyms and Christopher's and shoe city on eight street, um, vacant building for like six, seven years. Uh, I think we had like 90,000 in corporate funding there, like, you know, Heineken, all Pepsi, all different types of. Uh, so again, people that I've had personal relationships with, but have seen the success of the programs and projects that we produce, um, and we set up right before September because you had Art All Night, A Street Festival, Howard Homecoming, and uh, <clears throat> it was like the big festival that was uh at uh, East Potomac Park that Drake performed at on the mall. I don't remember what the name of the festival was, but it was a big deal because nobody did a concert on the mall like that before. Um, but yeah, but I mean, so all of those things are just experiences that led us to this point now where, you know, a lot of developers trust us with one, these, these physical assets. So basically, understand insurance, understand the legalities, understand um, that it's our risk, you know, to basically say, look, we'll get the money to make the improvements on your building. We just need a good runway 
to uh, to activate. And in the instance of um, you know, we were able to create this successful business model, get a liquor license, which is the hardest thing to do in DC. Um, and now, you know, we have a proven business model that can be replicated and there's opportunity to scale there. Um, so those are things that to me uh, have allowed uh, us to like really, you know, hone in on what we're good at. You know, a lot of people don't try, they don't try to amplify what they're good at. Um, and I think that's key, you know, to really just focus and drive home on that. Oh, wow. <laughs> Two weeks in a row? <laughs> I Wow, man. Okay, yeah, mama, I'll be home soon. <laughs> Still looking for her grandson. Right. Yeah, right. Going somewhere because when people start bombing you or whatever, you're doing something yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, real tight. Sounds hey, funny. So real quick, just to piggyback on that, because that, that was interesting that you said that, that first initial um you know um yeah, that first initial, you know, uh, uh situation where you know, you you reached out to the to the landlord, you know, the lease, and and he ended up selling it. You know, what was, I guess, contractually? You know, I know you said you kind of learned from those things. Like, have you changed how you go about that as far as you know the contract between you and the landlord, or really is it just kind of like, look, man, you know, we're kind of at their beck and kind of hand because they're the landlord. You know, they rightfully can do whatever they want, lease or not. You know what I mean? If they decide tomorrow they want to sell the shit, <laughs> they can just sell it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? No, um, I think that uh, that allowed me to focus more on like the risk and and versus the reward. You know, because like, you know, even now, now I try to set, you know, spaces up where we at least have a two-year runway. Mm -hmm. Um you know, in, in certain instances, things that, you know, cause I'm a, I'm an owner operator, right? Like I can take a space and operate within that space and like really build it out to a point where we can generate a lot of revenue in that time that we have that space. Um, or, you know, set it up where, you know, Hey, we want to occupy for three months. Um, I'll tell the landlord, but look, we, we need this three months uninterrupted um and really just kind of set it up that way the the risk of the owners you know i mean even with like you know culture house and, and some other spots you know they'll use you know our culture to improve their property value it, it happens everywhere you know it, it's the same thing happened in Linwood, you know in miami um utilizing all the artists to you know drive up the, the value property value um, but you know, it happens in, in every segment of industry. Uh, so I think probably now my, my safeguard is to, um, really articulate the intent of the landlord initially, um, so that, you know, we can understand it. Like in DC, if you have a vacant property or a blighted property, um, or an abandoned property or land or lot, uh, you get taxed for that you know, and, and that tax ain't cheap, you know, so if you have a blighted building that's worth, you know, $2 million, you're getting taxed $200,000 a year, you know, so for me to come in and beautify it for one, uh, and activate it for two, I'm, I just saved you 200 grand, mm -hmm. you know, so, but they're not cutting us tax for 200 grand. Um, 
And that's kind of the next level of it. Like, how do you, uh, you know, leverage in order to, if they decide to sell, then, you know, you're, you're, you're owed, you know, some of that value that you, that you put into that space. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I think that that's something that is definitely tough, you know, especially if you don't have that capital ahead, you know what I mean? On the, on the front end of it, trying to, uh, access that value, you know, understanding that they're going to sell, they could sell that property for much more than what it's worth. Yeah. And again, I think it, it is just about knowing what your intent is going in. Um, you know, some of these uh, properties, uh, you know, because you can look at it tangentially. You can say, well, I know that they're going to try to take advantage of, of us, you know, doing uh, X, Y, and Z, but you know, I could turn around and take advantage of them. And now my notoriety is through the roof and I'm getting an A, B, and C um, without no credit, uh, no credit lease. Like, you know, I have the ability, not me personally, but like our team has the ability to like go in and like really, you know, do some major shit without the same kind of roadblocks that a lot of other, you know, businesses might have because of the history that we've had. Yeah. Um, ownership is still key though like you know you know we tried to make a run at a old church in, in southeast but we just couldn't pull it off because our window was short you know like we said we have access to capital you know african-americans don't get that that head nod like our colleagues you know our, our white counterparts and there's no knock to them but we just we're just not in the same atmosphere when it comes to accessing money um and it, it hurts my heart a lot because Imagine if we were. Imagine if we did have that access. Like the world would be a fucking better place. In my opinion. DC yeah. would still be Chocolate City. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um you, you spoke on um festivals. Um this is a good segue into what what all goes you've been affiliated with the Broccoli City uh music festival, correct? Yeah. How, what, what kind of planning goes into pulling something like that off? Oh my gosh, man. Like, I mean, you know, so I've been supporting those guys, you know, Brandon Marcus, Daryl, I mean, Jamar, the whole game, you know, since 2013, when they brought it to DC at Hashi Fairgrounds. And I think the planning, you know, really, it's like an all year thing. You know, like it, there's never, there might be like, you know, two, three months off and then nine months on. Um, and for me, you know, my support came through sponsorship. You know, I mean, that's how a lot of people really kind of just got wind of, of who I was because I was the guy that was bringing a lot of money to the table in the background. You know, like that's partly where, you know, the most known unknown tag, you know, kind of came to fruition because it was like, you know, we need 25 grand or we need $100,000 from sponsors to help subsidize these costs. Um, but, you know, for me and, and seeing what Broccoli City um, has become through Hash Street Fairgrounds, St. Elizabeth's for a few years, and then, you know, the Cardi B, you know, era 2018 RFK, like, it was just amazing, you know what I mean? Like through the roof. Um, and this year would have probably just been 
super insane if it wasn't, you know, due to COVID. But, um, but I think that festival is probably one of the most um, intricate and involved festivals for African Americans to to patronize, you know, let alone have a good time, but really get educated. Um, and and I learn, uh, you know, a lot of the the necessities in life, you know, not just this festival that started as an Earth Day celebration from a clothing brand, you know what I mean? But like, really, you know, uh, co-mingle amongst each other um, in a, you know, warm environment that uh, speaks to health and wellness and, and financial literacy and and um, you know, just supporting other black businesses—that's that's huge. And for for uh, to see Broccoli City, you know, kind of climb, uh, and other festivals too. You know, like Electro and you know, Estepita Quinn. And, you know, like a lot of those things. Like a lot of those festivals really started as just again assembly spaces for for us because we don't really have it. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a lot of that, you know. So. Right. Now, with, with those big festivals and the way the city is starting to look in certain pockets, um, I, th- I was thinking, how how could that continuously, you know, be put on and, and market to to us as a culture? And but I think we we said it earlier is that our counterparts are so engulfed in our culture that brought, you know the festivals like that will will continuously you know, be successful, patronized because it's, you know, you're getting a, a whiff or just a, a kind of letting in on our culture and it's now in, you know, in, in the city, right, where you live. So I'm interested to see what, when when everything opens back up, like nothing's going to be the same, obviously. You know, how do you, how do we adjust from here as far as how we handle festivals, how we handle Sandlot Southwest, Southeast, uh, you know, how, how do we handle, how we adjust from here? Well, I think um, from uh, from the African-American lens, you know, from the Black people lens, I think we saw a lot of, you know, support amongst each other during COVID and, you know, the George Floyd, you know, social injustice, the inequalities, like that has brought to me, the black community a lot closer. Um, And so from that stance alone, I do feel that when the city, you know, does open up, that there will be um, folks patronizing um, more intently or intentful, um, which is great, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of folks were like, well, where were you guys before COVID? You know, like, were you really patronizing Black-owned businesses before COVID, or are you only patronizing Black-owned businesses because everybody else is talking about it on social media, and you want to be a part of the trend? Like those are things that you know to me um, will will set the tone for how we re-enter, um, you know, uh, our our culture through you know arts, entertainment, and, and music. Um, okay. something uh, that we all can 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 dig is sneakers. I love for for shoes. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I see the background. What do you think? The, how, how big has sneaker culture been in just our, for our generation, do you think? Um, huge. I mean, you know, again, a subculture to mainstream to overwhelmingly, you know, overpopulized and bastardized even. You know, I mean, we see we see it every day. I mean, I know y'all all took an L on that sneakers app and you probably take an L every time a shoe drops on that <laughs> app. Every Tuesday, every Saturday, <laughs> right. you know. It's like clockwork. And right. I just think back to like Nike talk days where or Nike Park days where it was like straight message board. Like if you wasn't a nerd, right. yeah, you were you out the loop. Checking, yeah, you out the loop. You out the loop. Like to know when shoes drop at Shoe City and downtown Rockland. I always tell this story to the folks in Shoe City because like I used to go to Shoe City and just clean them out. Like let me get the whole size one. Capital Plaza Shoe City. Thank you. You know. Whole size one. You had to have relationships, man. You had to have relationships with those stores, man. And, and yeah, and it's just like just knowing, like you know, you can order shoes from Nike Town, Chicago, and and these are hot releases, and get it shipped right to your door. You call them on the phone and give them your credit card. Like, mm-hmm. so to me, like those were just you know pinnacle days. But what we see now is is you know the the ease of of technology, and it just kind of made people walk into our love for sneakers and, and our love for, um, um, you know, rare items. Uh, and and now it's, you know, StockX or Goat or any other app where if you got some cash, then, you know, you, you got the access. Or if you know someone that knows someone that could fly you in on a pair, you know, like I don't have a plug. I tell people happily, like, you know, sometimes I wish I did have a plug, but sometimes I'm glad I don't because I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't have nowhere to put all these damn shoes in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I remember when I first started DJing, right? And um, in order to get some practice in and just have a place to spin at, I would go to Up Against the Wall and DJ, right? All Branch Avenue, no Iris and Mall, right? And there was a shift that happened. Like there was a period of time before this shift where people wanted to, as far as fashion goes, people wanted to look like themselves. They wanted to be the freshest, but no one wanted to be the same as somebody else. Right. Then it was like all of a sudden these kids and teenagers would come in and be look at the mannequin, point to the mannequin and be like, I want that whole outfit. I want to look like that. And yeah. I and I feel like the same thing happened with sneakers as well. Yeah. It's like they see what this person has and I need to have that same thing instead of I want to wear the shoe that nobody has and make it look, you know what I'm saying? Look and make it look fresh. Yeah. And that, you know, when I was at the master, <laughs> you know, everybody was in phone posits and penny this and penny that and you know you know, Flight Pilots is my favorite shoe of all time, but I would go to PG Plaza um, 
Prince George's Plaza. You know, you got to be very Georgia's. Uh, but I would go, you know, they had like six two stores in there. So I would yeah. always go there and just, you know, shop the class rock and, you know, come back with some twenty nine ninety nine runners that, you know, had the odd colors, but she was like, what are those? And I was like, yeah, exactly. You know, right. And to me, that's how I built up, you know, kind of like my, my shit from just everyone wanting to be. Um, you know, the same and, and even like the Jordan trainers, like the rest of Roy Jones, the, the rest mm-hmm. of shoes, you like know, like those, was like, yeah, like those was my favorite back then because Cass was like, like wrestling shoes, bro. Like, I mean, you know, and then I, I just took it a step further and I used to East Bay get the ASIC wrestling shoes and I said, well, I'm gonna just go all the way in. I remember dudes yeah, doing that. You know it was a lot of dudes from like northern PG County rock, rocking the wrestling shoes. <laughs> rocking yeah. the wrestling and, shoes, man. Yeah, and I might have to bring that back too. <laughs> but like that for me is 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 what you know world like sneaker collecting is, and and it's just there's just no way to get back to that era, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I remember before we answer a food's question. I remember the way I found out about sneaker drops was East Bay. Mm-hmm. Get the book in the mail. I remember getting yeah. the 10s through East Bay. <laughs> but you had to get a money order to mail it back because when nobody had no access to no yeah. credit card like that. Yeah, right, man. East and you just had to, wait, had to wait a good old two to three weeks for you to get your shoes. But they used to, that yeah. used to be the way. And like, you know, I'm you know, 99, so I graduated the math of 99 and then went to Drexel in Philly, <clears throat> excuse me, and, you know, I was an IT, I was an engineer, so I was always on the computer, and that's, like, right when the internet, like, really started to, like, pop, or not even pop, but, like, bubble a little bit. Black Planet. Um, yeah, oh, Black Planet, <laughs> uh, my Black Planet page was true. I had the music in the background. I had the motion and everything. You know, but like that's when you started to find like these websites, shoe trends, and you know, all type of like websites. And and back then, I was like, well, I don't know if this is real or not, but I'm gonna just try it anyway. And then when you found out that shoe trends was authentic, man, I never told anybody in the world about shoe trends. I just kept ordering white. Red TB flight positive ones, twos, and threes, like, you know, and and then Nike used to do their exclusive drops back then too, like you know the Olympics, you know KG and the shots, you know. But anyway, I'm I'm stuck in that that era. Uh, so, food's questions. What's everybody's uh pick of most epic shoe of all time? We can do a round robin on that. Oh man, uh, epic shoe of all time. Um, I mean, I think the the obvious answer would probably be the the Concord Eleven, just the way the effect that it had on sneaker culture. I mean, hell, it still affects the culture the same way it did. Probably about what was that twenty years ago? If that, yeah, because no, twenty five. This is the twenty fifth anniversary of the Eleven. Anniversary, yeah. Right Oh, you I, can I make the argument don't. that it's not even the most influ or well, I mean, 
because it is kind of hard to quantify. But I think you can make the argument that the one is like, you know, it, the, one of the most influential, you know, from something that people were seeing on the court to then all of a sudden it's like, yo, no, I need to be wearing that too, you know, to have that kind of foresight. Of- I feel like people don't like that. That's like a new kind of thing. I feel like ones came back around when the dunks came or when they had when they when they went to retro on them is when they became hot again. A lot of people back in like the mid nineties or late mid to late nineties, people were more I think obsessed with the threes, fours, and the fives more than they were in the ones. Yeah, I think uh it was the eights um as far as Jordans go for me. Um, you know, the playoff eights. It was just something about that purple and teal that you know, you hook it up with the, the shot of jersey. I mean it was just it was just so many, but I mean the the, the flight posit, I mean this shoe Go right Jordan. here. Oh it's freshman year of college right there. Right here, that's what I'm like, this is when I became a man right here. Uh, Did you have a purple one? I did not I, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I didn't even really like the gold ones. I was the silver, the silver fly posits yeah. where I was at with it. Right. Um, and then I missed the carbon fiber one. So that was the first one that actually dropped on Nike's website. And again, if you wasn't hip, there was no release date. It was just on the website. And you know, casting Nike top. Nike talk was like, "Yo, they on the website. Y'all go cop." And I loafed, and I was mad that I loafed. And now the carbon fibers are like a thousand dollars. Right, I'm stupid. But that's yeah. the thing. Like, you see the resale on a lot of these joints, and like we were talking about now. Before, like now, you have the access. If you have the money, you have the access. And before, it was like, like you're talking about, you needed to know where to go to get that information. Like you needed to know, maybe it's just one specific shop in Philly that's going to be getting this colorway, and I'm going to have to make a trip this weekend, you know, and get a cheesesteak for lunch or something like that. It's just like it's it's way different now. You do see how technology and just the the expansion of the internet has completely changed like what's instagram now it you know, it's it's people have naked and, and sneakers all over the place you know right nah so real quick r- crazy part about that right because i mean you so you're speaking about east bay days so I, i'll even dive into the 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 little and I wouldn't even call it the plug because the plug can't be your cousin who lives in another state that has to send you something. This is this is gonna date myself since you said you know you graduated in '99, but I'm gonna date myself, right? And this is for anybody who figured out, like you said, um, you know, we used to pop the bubbles on old Air Max and send them back oh, to Nike to get the new oh, one because they were they guarantee because they guaranteed you that they bubble would not burst. So you knew that if you sent them that, they were going to send you a fresh pair or whatever. But then I think what really started for me was, I'll call it the cousin. My cousin was my plug. He worked at, he was the general manager at, at Foot Locker way back when. And to this day, when I got the, I got the red and white 12 two weeks before they came out. And it was that notion of you knew 
that somebody was the plug or had the plug if they was coming to school with the shoes with two weeks back. And, and everybody, knew, everybody knew the date, but you knew there was only about a handful of cats that was walking around campus with them shoes on, and they was you automatically knew they was probably going to have them on two weeks before yeah. they came out. And then the, when the song hit, and it was that whole thing of, you know what I'm saying, like, you know, I got them two weeks before they dropped, you yeah. a part of that, you a part of that, you know, your name get associated with that. Yeah, you was a cool kid. That yep. was it. But it, but I, I yeah. turned the cool kid into the shoe kid because again, you know, at the end of the day, my my kicks was fly. I remember even the um the elevens. We took the the black and red elevens and the white part. My homeboys was in uh a homeroom and we got some black tape and we literally cut it out so it was the all black uh, on the bottom, so it looked like it was all black and red. That's because we was just sneakerheads. We was already imagining. What we would want a sneaker to look like, you yeah. know, if we would get the customization. Yeah. Oh, that's early that's on. Which now yeah. that's like a trend to actually come out with sneakers that you can just like either there's a second layer or something, you know, like now that's a thing. And before it was like you actually had to do that yourself. You know, you doctor your stuff up yourself and you know, they're every everyone's finding a way to kind of capture or get, you know, kind of get a piece right now. I um, we go to this. So I've I've been doing some of my research on you. I know my research. Um, and I in this article it says you um, you had to you had to let some some grails go on uh on eBay, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, to pay for uh, an expense you had occurred. Um, yeah, yeah. Some yeah. of those grills you had to you had to let go, and and did you ever get any of the, any of those back? Nah, I didn't. I mean, you know, I mean, Espos, uh, Rails. I mean, I don't even. I don't even want to go back there. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was like I was dramatic really, times. Like, yeah, it was it was super traumatic, and I was just like, you know, I ain't never really been a bad kid, but like I did some bad kid shit, and like it just, oh man, like wrecked the car, and you know, my parents was in Hawaii, you know, and I was like, man, I gotta get this car fixed before they come back, like ASAP, no insurance, just it was just all bad, and I just. Yeah, I just I backed it up, y'all. But I I lost literally like every you know the the haze, just all of the the, the Heineken, like everything that you could imagine. I just let go for like nothing, you know, oh. like like maybe fifty bucks above retail or. And back then, I I wore everything, so I didn't just have shoes to just. Sad. So everything was was worn. So I looked at it differently. I said, "Well, if I bought the shoes at retail and I and I wore them, right. like really wore them, you know, got some pictures in them or whatever, and sold them for a little bit more than what I paid for, I won. Like yep. I don't care yeah. how much. That's still money. a victory. Yeah, it's still a victory. So." Um, even with the Air Mags, you know, like, you know, bought those for like 3400 you know, from the auction because, you know, I knew the money went to charity. So that was, I would never spend that much money on a pair of sneakers. 
But it was a charity, right? So why not? And it was the Air Mags. Who doesn't love Back to the Future too? Right, right. Um, and then to resell it, I think I resold it for like 38, 39, something like that. But, you know, wore it a couple of times, you know, got the looks. It was, it was cool, but yeah, I'm, I'm good on that. Right, right. Um, this would have been a good transition to to just bring up our for the soul because we all talking about shoes. This is our, our shoe segment of the show anyway. Um, so now we're gonna, we'll jump into our, our copper drop of the week because uh, we're definitely going into overtime. I knew <laughs> once, once we was in 30 minutes on the first 15 minutes, I was like, yeah. Um, I, mean, I, but, uh, I was surprised y'all started at 9 30. I said, man, I'm old now. So every week we do a, a copper drop. CB uh, sent me a, a shooter to put up. And we just run through logistics, and we just figure out if we're going to cop it or we're going to drop it. So this week's cop a drop. CB, give it, give it to us. Yeah. So the uh, we're going back to Jordans, and I like the reason why I want to bring these up is because they seem to be um, kind of polarizing, at least from what I've been reading and all that. So people either seem to really like them, or you know, it, you know, for some people it's too crazy, but the, these are basically an, uh, an ode to Tokyo. And, um, so that's where you get the mixture of the different colors and everything, um, different types of materials. Uh, for me, I think those joints are fire. I've entered in a bunch of raffles. I'm ready. I'm already prepared for the L, but for me, that's a cop. Like, I, I, I you know, for, for going for 170. Yeah. I mean, that right now, that's like, you know, that's in the ballpark for the standard, like, Jordan 1 releases right now. Yeah. At least the highs, you know. Yeah, so, he says a cop for you, obviously. You, you're already in the raffles. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'd be entering raffles and forgetting that I did, you know. <laughs> uh, he said uh, it's, a, it's a cop for him. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm a cop. I'll I, I try to cop. I didn't necessarily uh, guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I'd be I, I'd be doing the E Rich. I'd be flexing them right now on you early. That's a that's a cop. I look at that shoe and, and that reminds me of the uh, the uh the untitled uh the undefeated dunk um from you know back in the day. So um that that's a definite cop just off of that alone. Yeah, that's a cop for sure. Clean sweep. Iber most definitely a cop. Okay, Iber. <laughs> All right. Um. So now this is the for the soul. Uh, every week, everybody bring a shoe on the show, and we just talk about it. Uh, have something we cop this week, something that's in the collection. We doing a spotlight. Uh, I went first last week, so uh, I don't know who, who's the superfly right now. And the superfly come out of a. Out the closet with something. I don't got no crazy heat. I just got something like how uh, Ian talked about the like twenty thirty dollar shoe uh, shoe stash that's a come up. These were yeah. um and a brand that I never wear, but I kind of <laughs> like them. So I haven't really uh, actually put them on yet, but nice little uh, nice. The ultra like tech, right? Little, little fresh, yeah. yeah, little like Easter shoe or something. You yeah. know, I'm with those. Okay. I mean, talking about raffles that I uh, 
entered and forgot that I entered. Uh, I sent y'all, um, I sent y'all a message earlier this week because I got a, uh, I got an email saying that um, I had actually picked up a pair of shoes and I forgot that I entered the raffle. But it was funny because this was last week's copper drop. And I wasn't really pressed to get them. <laughs> That's how it works, though, right? But the yeah, Yeezys yeah, came. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> they yeah. showed wow. up. And I'm never going to be upset about catching, like, catching, like, a dub. Like, you know, if I if I put the bid in or if I put in, you know, the ticket, like, you know, I'm still, I'm going to be, I'm going to be cool with it. So these are my first pair of uh, the the V3s um, of the 700s. Um, you tried them on? I haven't tried them on. Uh, they got like the pull tab uh, lacing system, but then they also came with an extra set of just regular rope laces. Mm. Um, I think the coolest feature on the shoe is that like this part here glows in the dark. And so for me, you guys know anything that's 3M, reflective, anything that glows wow. in the dark, like I'm all, I'm about all that shit. Like I love it. So um, I was not not upset that this, uh, this came in the mail this week. Gotcha. Um, I'll go. So I got the Kobe. Uh, oh, these are older joints, but they're one of my favorite pair of Kobe's that I own. Um, yeah. Fire. The yellow, uh, kind of speckled laces or whatever. They said they, they've been worn, but um, it's got the dragon or whatever on the back. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, one of my favorite pair of Kobe's. Um, yeah. Pull right, those out of uh, I'll go ahead and go so I can let uh, the guest take the take because I know he got something that's going to kill everything that I <laughs> ain't even put in my head. So <laughs> let, me go ahead and get, let me get the embarrassment out the way now so I can just be like, all right, you know, yeah, that was light. Uh, so I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it back. Uh, wasn't a raffle, but they came out of. Um, they came out of nowhere as far as like saying that they was going to come out with it and for whatever like you know I follow them on IG and I noticed that a lot of the uh, players in the bubble started rocking the shoes so I just went ahead and looked and I saw uh, the answer joints out the answer yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, I, I saw that too man and, nah, and the fun. crazy part was the, the, the release was like at some crazy time I think it was like 7 or 8 west coast time but I was, it was like, like 11 p.m. Yeah, yeah I, was, <laughs> I was like, yo, that's ill. Like, I didn't go do that to everybody on the East Coast. But uh, yeah, man, I had to get a pair. I this was this actually was my first outside of Nike or Jordan shoe that I ever bought Ooh. as a kid. Was when yeah. I saw him rock these, and I was like, these are acceptable on the court. I won't get clowned if I have these on them being another brand because everybody knew that I was the Nike or the Jordan team. Right. You gotta get the red so I mean I don't I don't I honestly don't have I I don't have nothing crazy because remember I got rid of all of them. <laughs> but you know I do have a, a, a pink box you know right here and this pink box is okay. you know it's it's signed oh. uh, you know and inside this pink box I have uh, some nice, you know, nostalgic classic De La Soul <laughs> highs. Again, this is this is like some slight. 
Yeah, right. It's not, it's not <laughs> and I want to say it was this shoe, I think. Let me see. Appreciate it. But Plug Two has signed the Inner Crazy. Soul as well. So this is like, and I wear it. You know what I mean? Like it's it's something that you know I try to wear all my shoes. They're meant to be worn. Yeah, they're meant to be warm, but this one just has a, a, a special, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a special place. Uh, Is there a store behind those? Did you take them to a show uh, or something? Or what? Nah, well, yeah, there, there's a story to it because uh, I got these um, at Central down in Waldorf. They're not there no more, but it used to be a skate shop uh, down there, and then. Anthony Gilbert, a friend of mine, he used to write for Soul Collector magazines from Philly, because you know I was at I was at Drexel. He um, did an interview with Plug Two, uh, Aranda, a good friend of mine. You know, knew Plug Two. He lives in the area, he's in Maryland, and that to me was uh, in alignment at the time. And we ended up getting Plug Two to do the interview at Central uh, Skate Shop um, wow. after release. So it was a surprise to everybody that showed up and you know just just again just good nostalgia moment. No, no. Um I almost forgot. Uh top three did, did you do that? The top three movies, top three yeah, albums. Yeah. Okay. Nah, we so, didn't do that. Nah, we didn't no, do no, that. Did, I, did you see the email about it? So you got it? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. My um Let's uh, do your top, movies. Top three movies. Um Heat, uh, you know, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, always be my favorite um, movie, Menace to Society, you can't go wrong with, you know, the traditional, you know, ghetto movie, you know, everybody loves how, bo- how bootleg was that movie? I, I feel like Menace to Society and, and Friday were the most bootleg movies in history. I mean, it was that, it was that pinnacle, it was that pinnacle moment in our history, though. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, we talk about the nineties and two thousand era, just seeing that, you know, growing up as a, a teenager and a, and a kid, like that was like our scarface, you know. But uh uh I mean those and Hunger Games, I'm a Hunger Games like I'm sorry, y'all. Like I just I'll watch all four or five of them, like however many there is. <laughs> but that's me. Gotcha. Yeah. Albums. Let's, let's do albums. Albums, uh Kingdom Come, uh Jay Z uh album was was a was a you know, two thousand five, two thousand six. That's right when I started my company. Um and his intro kinda just led me through my my pinnacle years starting my business. You know, the intro to Kingdom Come, I implore everyone watching uh, to just dial that up right now and he says in that intro, that was my motivation right there. Um, let's see, other albums, Nipsey, uh, Victory Lap, that's a, a constant. Uh, and I'm a big Jill Scott fan, so anything that Jill does, okay. you know, Beautifully Human or, you know, Who Is Jill Scott? Again, I was in Philly 
you know, bought her album off of Amazon before it was released in the stores, back when nobody knew who Jill Scott was. She was just a background singer for the week. You know, I remember I saw Jill Scott perform four times in one month, twice in DC, once in Philly, and then in LA. Like I was that press. So, <laughs> a Jill show is an experience, man. Like uh, anybody, anybody crazy. Jill can get all the goods. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <all my> <laughs> um, all right, before we get out of here, plug yourself. Where can we find you? How can people find you? Yeah, man. Ian I can on all socials. Um I A N E Y E C A N. Um, you know, Sandlot Southeast. That's the current uh business. Um and we got uh, a whole new business uh forthcoming. That announcement should be made relatively soon. Um and you know, I'm I'm always around, you know, I be Facebook in person. I'm in Southwest not hard to find me um so just pull up when you can super fly let's plug that twitch hopefully we get a show this weekend yeah man uh so dj dash and uh, dj underscore superfly underscore tnt on twitch uh superfly tnt everywhere else all right and us as a collective we are something else uh google you can google us and find us everywhere but soundcloud itunes <laughs> google play Facebook, Instagram, uh, your mama's house, you know, your mama's oh. everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, just everywhere, whoever, and whoever's grandma that is as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where she at, man? It's kind of last week, and you know, it kind of made you show whatever. Yo, um, yeah. but that's a wrap uh, for this week's Black Business Series. We want to thank you, Ian, for joining us. This yeah, was, thank you for having me, man. For real, man. overtime. This is this is cool. Um, we want to thank everybody for for joining us on YouTube, Facebook, however you watch the show. If you're gonna watch the run back of it, uh, we appreciate you all. And then uh, next week, if you got a plug, so next week, uh, hopefully, I think we got Chef Snipe um, for your your cooking pleasures. Uh, he's a personal chef. He's got his own thing going on, so. Yeah, hopefully he'll be here next week. Uh, we'll confirm later on. But until then, peace, y'all. See y'all next week.